Welcome to Higher Learning, you guys. Welcome, Thought Warriors. As promised, we got a special episode for you. Remember, we're giving them to you every Wednesday for Black mm. History Month. And this week is just, it's even better than last week. This week, we are doing a theme podcast for Judas and the Black Messiah. We've got Lakeith Stanfield on the podcast. We've got Daniel Kaluuya. You guys, these are some of the best interviews that we have done on Higher Learning. I promise you will be enriched. You will learn something just from them as human beings, as for their characters that they played, the roles, the real-life roles that they played in Judas and the Black Messiah. And this is a movie, if you haven't seen it already, you need to go out and see. Please enjoy this as much as we did. We are blessed and honored to be joined by one of the best damn actors in the entire world. And I know he believes that to be true. The star <laughs> of Judas and the Black Messiah, he plays... The incomparable Fred Hampton in this movie. Mr. Daniel Kaluuya joins us today on Higher Learning. Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. Of course, man. Of course. Uh, now, I started that intro by saying that you're one of the best, best damn actors in the world. Do you think that over the, these past couple of years, the, the kind of run you're on, that you're in your sort of creative uh, renaissance or special place? Do you think? that you've set yourself apart as one of the best actors working right now? Because I think, man, between Get Out, between Queen and Slim, all of the other work, you have catapulted yourself to the top of the industry. Would you say the same thing? I love your background. Is that a Buster P? That's a um, Buster P, yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. I was just quoting Buster P just, just niching the last interview. <laughs> uh, um, uh, do I, I don't compare myself to anyone. I don't watch anyone. Mm. Mm. Watch me, bro. Like, uh, I, I, so I get inspired by people. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it could be people that are doing stuff in the game now. It could be someone in from the 70s or the 60s. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't watch anyone. Like, I, 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 what, there's no peace that comes with that. You know mm. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to become what I am, who I am. And that's it. If people say that about me and say that I mean, like, blessings, man, I appreciate you. You know what I'm saying? But I feel in the creative, in the creative field, is. I think it kind of is this kind of way of thinking that can restrict you from telling the truth. Mm. You know what I'm, saying? I'm not here to be good. I'm here to be honest. You know what I'm saying? So I just act accordingly. Yeah. Can I ask you, who is it that inspires you? Wow. Interesting. What, in this current moment or in general? In However general. you want to answer the question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, Rick. Go ahead and give it. All right. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, who inspires you? My mom inspires me. Mm. I'm real. I could swear, right? Yes. Of course. Real shit. Yeah, my mom inspired me to seeing seeing her determination, seeing what she's kind of gone through and, and what she's overcome and the positive attitude that she's instilled within herself and within me. Uh Donald Glover inspires me. I see I see how he moves. It's just like I think it's incredible, like what he's what he's been doing. Uh and I get inspired by like, I don't know, I just feel I can see when people get it, when they mm. understand, you know what I'm saying? Like the Wiz Kids last album inspired me like made in lagos that inspired me the giant saying and just going oh he's he's himself he's found himself he's found he's no, he always knows himself but he's just in the pocket i mean um it's so many so many i would rachel i'd love to answer that question more deep and more specifically but i think i would have to need to be streamlined to kind of the kind of the universe of people yeah. in order right. to, for inspirations but there, there's it's like people just and I, I don't even necessarily think people i think certain people in certain moments mm. you know what i'm saying when they're just listening and they just in sync, align, and they just get it, and they just move. 
like that that inspires me. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and so, and yeah. Yeah. You know, it's crazy when you said WizKid, I thought about how I felt this past summer listening to that Burner Boy album. I'm not gonna lie, man. Like the Burner Boy album, that inspired me. I was messing around with the beats, got me a little beat machine. I was trying to, I wanted somebody to oh, feel like did? I was feeling. Nah, it was fucking <laughs> whack, but whatever. Um, so, uh, so look, in, in, in this movie, you play Fred Hampton. Um, Fred Hampton, who, whose story hasn't been told uh, in American society yet. Uh, you, Daniel, uh, are going to be the first time a large portion of the American film-going audience, a large portion of American culture is going to meet Fred Hampton. You're going to be the first time they meet him. What does that mean to you? And did you feel that weight while you were preparing for and playing the character? It's an honor, man. It's an honor. I feel privileged. You know what I'm saying? It's um, it's just like how sometimes you go, well, how 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 the hell did I get here? Do you know what I'm saying? How did I get into this position? Sometimes you can question it, and then then you have to accept it mm-hmm. because I'm here. And what what are you gonna do about it? You know what I'm saying? So is that? And then the second question is like, how did that feel? Right? What, what, like, how did you uh, how how did you deal with that? And did it affect the way you would play the character in any way, knowing that you had such a powerful legacy to bring to life for so many people? Yeah, it it, it kind of refocused me. You know, it made, it made it made me step up. You know, I, 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 when I started looking at him specifically, I knew I was like, oh well, I'm gonna have to be my biggest, tallest self in order to reach my aspirations of 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 how to channel and be a vessel for him. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. and and it was, a, it was heavy. It was a heavy weight, but it just made me work nonstop. You know what I'm saying? And anything, mm-hmm. I, any, I, I just would go okay. Every waking moment, it made me go to Chicago or go to Cleveland three, four weeks before the shoot and just lock myself away and do the work, you know, and, 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 and like take up smoking, you know what I'm saying? Or, 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 or do go to opera singing classes and, 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 and understand cadence in a really technical way and condition my vocal cords for the speeches that were going to be like, I was going to be doing it for 12 hours a day. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is a, it's a big, it's a muscle. It's a lot of work. And then I have to be, my vocal cords have to be strong enough so I can still speak the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, it's, it just made me, you know what it is? Understanding what that made me show up. Mm-hmm. That's it. I just got to show up and I showed, I showed up. Do you know what I'm saying? And I go, yo, I'm here. I'm here to be a vessel and, and that's it. I saw the quote where you said that you knew that, you just knew that you were a vessel and you say you just let go and you let God. For you, 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 you come across actors and you see certain performances and you say, gosh, they were born to play that role. You know, specifically, I'm thinking of Ray Charles, Jamie Foxx. Do you feel like you were born to play this role? And if so, why? I think I was born to play this role. I can see myself being born in a way. But what's being... I think I, I'd, I'd, I've made certain choices in my life that meant that this makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm I don't think like I was put like I was, you know, like I was born. In I get very, what you're saying. I, yeah. I was born in a very different circumstance. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's kind of mm-hmm. like like it was a, it was it was a very different continent. I was in a <laughs> very different tax bracket. You know what I'm saying? It was like mm-hmm. it was, I wasn't in a space where that opportunity would have arrived to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I had to do a lot of work in order to get in a space where I'm like, oh, wow, I'm here, you know? Um, but I do understand that the the things that I've done in my career, ha- I, I did feel that 
on this job thinking, oh, my whole career has been leading up to this moment. Mm-hmm. It's how I feel. Yeah. Mm. Now, you had talked a little bit uh, before about feeling like maybe we talked a little bit too much about race. And you had said that uh, you view yourself as a human, as Daniel, who happens to be black. I wonder if is, and a lot of people like they, they took notice when you said that. I wonder if in any way playing for at Hampton or immersing yourself into the Panthers or anything like that changed that perception at all or uh, in any way molded or shaped how you looked at the black experience in America it, it, like to, to a degree. Did it change anything? I think what it is, Van, you can turn mm-hmm. anything into anything if you take it out of context. Oh, okay, word. You know yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the people where that went and I went, it was the people that wrote that didn't sit down with me. They didn't meet me. In that conversation, I was saying, I love, I actually said that. I love black people. Why are you asking someone that loves black people why people don't like black people? Mm. Did that go viral, man? Did that go out there? Did they click that? It did that? not. Of course yeah. it did not. Yeah. Of course it didn't. So if I'm saying it, I'm, what, my, the sentiment of that point, and to be honest, I'll look up to myself and I look, you know what is? It taught me the importance of articulation and um, the specificity of articulation. And sometimes okay. you learn that in the field. You know what I'm saying? It's not something that you can be taught. And so, and so, but then what the, the sentiment of that is blackness and racism are not synonyms to me. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when, when white people are sitting me down and asking me, yo, how can I figure out this racism stuff? Mm. Why are you asking me? <laughs> I'll tell you a story, yeah? This, I'll tell you this now. Uh, we've, got time, we've got a bit of time. I'll tell you this story, yeah? I'm going to say right. it. They always cut it from every interview. And, it, and this was in the same interview. This was okay. in the same interview. I'll tell you this story, yeah? All right, Rachel, yeah? Give me an old lady's name. Mabel. Mabel. All right, Mabel. Mabel's there chilling. 2.30 a.m. Mabel's chilling now. Boom, she hears a noise. She's like, what the fuck? What's that noise? What the fuck's going on? Mabel wakes up. Yo. Boom, sees the window open, puts the light on, all her shit's been taken. She's like, what the fuck? My shit's been taken. Boom, she calls the police. Yo, I've been robbed. I lost my stuff. They said, I've right, been coming away. The police come, all that. these two police officers, one black, one white. They're like, yo, Mabel, what's happened? Mabel, what happened? Because I woke up 2.30 in the morning, my stuff got taken. Her stuff got taken, cool. All right, cool, we're going to take you to the police station. We're going to ask you more questions. Okay, cool, I just want my stuff back. She goes there, she's going to get her stuff to, um, to the police station. She's in the lobby waiting, goes, Mabel, there's been a lot of robberies tonight. We're going to put you to another space to wait. I'm going to speak to you. Cool. They put Mabel in a cell. He was like, that's a bit weird. I'm in a cell. That's a bit weird. Oh, cool. Let me chill. This is that and the other. Cool. Boom, 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 bam. Chilling, chilling in the cell there. Chilling, 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 chilling. Two, three hours go by. Boom. The thing to go, yo, Mabel, we're ready for you. They take Mabel into the interrogation room. They put the recorder on and they go, Mabel, tell us why you got robbed. Mm. Mabel has a decision in that situation. She can come to two conclusions. I see it, Rachel and Van. She comes to two conclusions. She's even going, you guys, you police officers, are very fucking shit at your job or you don't want to solve the crime. You feel me? Because you're never going to ask the person that's the victim of the crime why the crime happened. You're going to go out there and figure out and find the person who did it. And when you find the person who did it, you're not going to ask them why, because robbers rob. That's what they do. So I'm sitting there in this interview impacted by racism and they're asking me why it's happening. I came in this game in 89. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't fucking know why. 
I'm educating myself and understanding I can articulate it. And when I articulate why, they're still asking me questions. They're still asking me questions. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, so now Mabel's going to be there, listen, you guys don't know what the fuck you're doing. I'm going to go out there, call my grandsons and we're going to make it happen. I'm going to get my stuff back. I'm here to get my stuff. I'm not here to, like, what's that? I'm here to get my yeah. shit. You feel what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So yeah. When say like, I'm tired of talking. That, that's the conversations that are being had, but they're not, they're not highlighting their side of the conversation. They're putting at you out there. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, yo, why are you asking me about this? You, you don't ask white people about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. ask them. You don't, why do you ask them? Why don't they check their granddad? I don't know. Like, that's where it comes. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm just trying to get my stuff. I'm trying to help people and get their stuff and sharing the stuff that I've got. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm here yeah. for. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's for me, in, in that sort of situation, that's what happened. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, so I don't feel that this experience shifted anything in me. It deepened stuff in me. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It deepened because, because I felt like um, Chairman Fred and the Black Panther Party were very clear that the, 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 the issue was, in, was rooted in white fear and white anxiety over black bodies. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And that's where it sits. You know what yeah. saying? What are we going to do in order to empower ourselves to give people the tools to actualize themselves for themselves, from mm-hmm. themselves? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they can be their best selves. You feel me? And that's, yeah, and that's, that, and that's, how I, that's how I see it. And I feel like it was taken out of context. And, I, and, then, and, you have to, and then I learned that I just got to let it go, innit? You know, that cool, people don't get it. You know yeah. I mean? That called me, called me, and they figured it out. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's like that. I just have, I just have one more question for you, Daniel. Just one more question. And I want to get this one out. Uh, you were in Black Panther. Um, and it was a just a, a, a fantastic moment for the culture. Uh, unfortunately, more than unfortunately, tragically, tragically, we lost our brother. We lost yeah. our brother, Chadwick Boseman. Um, the strength and the, 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 the strength and the bravery that he showed in playing that part and giving that art to us when he was going through so much otherworldly. Can't say enough about him. There's a debate right now about how the Black Panther franchise moves forward, whether or not they recast the role as somebody else or whether or not they, uh, you know, change the mantle of Black Panther um, and make somebody else a Black Panther Shuri or even Killmonger or someone like that. Uh, And it's, you know, people are divided based upon how they feel about Chadwick Boseman. Do you think that the story of T'Challa should continue and that the role of Black Panther could and should be recast? Or do you think that T'Challa should probably um, be gone now that we can't have Chadwick back? I think they, they, uh, they, they, they uh, retired him in, in terms of the franchise. Uh, I saw that in the, in the news and I heard that from um, people around me. Um, and, I, and I respect that position. And I think that's out of respect to what that man gave all of us, mm. you know I mean, and and what he um, yeah. stayed on earth to to allow us to experience, you know, um, and and quietly suffering, and 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 continuous continuing to give through that suffering is a uh, is a is a side of humanity that you, you just don't you just don't you don't see often. Do you understand? Know so for me, like. It's important. The importance for me is 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 not the Black Panther legacy. The importance is the legacy of Chadwick Boseman because that's a human being and the spirit mm. that's, that's real. You feel me? And so, how, how can we honor that? You know, what I'm saying Black Panther 
is going to do what Black Panther does. You know what I mean? But that's a man, you know what I mean, that lived for us. It's mm. a I mean, he did it for us. He did it for yeah. our nephews, our nieces, our kids. You know what I mean? Mm. Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's our duty to honor that man. You know what I'm saying? The way he honored us. First class interview, thank my you. brother. Yes, thank you I appreciate you, man. Uh, before you go, I want to tell everybody that's hearing my voice right now, the Ju- Judas and the Black Messiah is one of the best films that you will ever see in your life. And uh-huh. the guy we are talking to right now is a major reason why. I'm glad you were here. Glad you were able to do it, brother. Glad you had the time, bro. And congrats on the nominations, too. Congrats for that. Mm-hmm. So much for your time. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Peace, All right, bro. Bye. All right, this is a huge moment for us. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, we have one of the finest actors living on planet Earth right now, really any planet, uh, joining us, but also from a movie that I've had the, t- the, the pleasure of seeing, the pleasure of being on the advisory board for the movie. And I don't have the adjectives. It is simply some of the finest work I've seen in ages, in ages. name of the movie is Judas and the Black Messiah. The name of the actor is Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, He is absolutely brilliant in this movie. The film is an amazing portrayal of the life uh, and unfortunately the death of Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. And we're lucky to have Lakeith with us today to get into, I guess, just the state of mind, how you've used the world, how you've used the film. First of all, I'll just, I'll start off by telling you, fantastic otherworldly work that you did in this film, man. Like, super duper amazing. Are you sick of hearing that just yet? Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, No, I'm not sick of hearing it. it's always welcome. You always want to do well at what you do. So it's uh, welcome and appreciated. Mm. I read that when you first got the script, you thought that you were going to be playing Fred Hampton. And then you learned that you were going to be playing William O'Neill. Um, I'm curious as to what did you know about William before you you know, started filming this? Yeah, I want to draw a distinction really quickly just so that people know. I wasn't told I'd play Fred Hampton, but I assumed that I would be playing him yeah. um, just because I, there was no way in my mind that I would be playing someone that betrayed a leader of the Black Panther Party. Um, I was familiar with the Black Panther Party and Fred Hampton um, through my own independent research when I was young, since school didn't really talk about them very much. I think we glossed over 0.5 seconds of what they represented and were about. Oh, they gave away some food and then they went to the next thing. Um, so uh, I was excited at the prospect of being a part of a story that could help play them and thought I might be um, playing Fred. But um, when Shaka revealed to me that he wanted me to play William O'Neill, at first I uh, had a bad taste in my mouth. And uh, when I hung up the phone and thought about it for a while, I realized it might be an opportunity to help tell the story in a unique way. And so I maybe need to put my judgments to the side. Something that you you try to do as an actor is um, take yourself out of it to an extent so that way you can view it from a holistic or, you know, 
sort of universal uh, viewpoint. So you're not getting in your own way. So I tried to take the back seat and, and let the spirit of what my gut was telling me um, guide me. And my gut told me you have to be a part of this project. So I, mm-hmm. uh, I got a broad question for you. Because watching the movie, something kept jumping up in my mind over and over and over again, watching you uh, do the work that you did. The question that I just have for you is, are you okay? Because having watched the film and having seen the way you committed yourself to the role and it's taxing to watch, Mm -hmm. right? It, 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 uh, it it takes something from you in, in 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 watching it, watching the way that this happened, and I'd have to imagine it was difficult to be in that mind space for such a long time. Are you doing okay? Are things okay for you right now? Like, are how was it going to that place and then coming back? Um, I consider myself in search of contentment on a perpetual basis. And trying to find some sort of balance and everything. Um, you know, I think it's often overlooked what the implications like on your mental, um, what some of the roles that we choose as actors have. And it seems like something that just seems like a funny thing in my mind, at least it was, until I had actually done this role. Um, I, you know, it was challenging every day to have to deal with the conflict. And because we cared so much about the story we were telling and we're close to the material, um, we wanted to make sure we did it right. Um, so for me, playing someone like William O'Neill, there was a delicate balance. I wanted to try and find the maniacal traitor in him. And I also wanted to try and find the young child who was temp- attempting to just survive in him, which I think a lot of us are. In fact, I think more of us are William O'Neill-esque than Fred Hampton-esque. I wanted to be fair and play him in a fair way. And it was quite challenging with my own morals and things that I felt. So there would be days on set where I was going through it, having existential crises and having to run out of this trailer and get a moment to myself and try to gather myself and be reassured and breathing that I was doing the right thing. Um, So yeah, you know, every day is a new step and, um, trying to become centered, you know, and that is not even accounting for all the things that happen in personal life. But I do realize, you know, coming out of this, how valuable um, it might be for one to engage in some sort of therapy with someone. And anyone that's going through something, um, I would definitely stress that that is a, a good option for you. Yeah, I, I feel like as as viewers, when you're when you're watching this, it it humanizes O'Neill. And when you when you finish the film, you're you're left wondering, what would you do if you were in that situation? We do see him torn and we do it is it is he's a very complex character. I'm curious, after playing him, did you feel sympathetic towards him? You know, I felt a lot of things. Um, I felt anger, mm. sadness, and just the, the tragedy of it all. And I, and I did feel a bit, I felt a little bit bad for him because um, I, I think after all, sometimes you make decisions based in your own survival that you don't realize might snowball into affecting others. And, and I think when you get in too deep in that kind of thing, sometimes you might find yourself turning around with no other options. 
but to choose uh, the lesser of two evils, as people would say that the last election represented. And so I think he he just got in too deep with his decision-making process and had to then continue to play the role at that point. He had to continue to push forward, whether you like it or not. We find ourselves in these positions all the time, whether we recognize it or not. It's just the little things that we allow to happen, that we allow to go on, and even within the government that we're supposed to hold responsible. When we don't, and we give them an inch, they take a mile and think snowball. You, your intentions may not have been bad, but you ended up creating a mess. And this mess happened to deal with people's lives. And so at the end of the day, he lost his tragically as well. Um, I think he you know, had more, ran into traffic the day that um, Eyes on the Prize premiered in 1990. Um, to engage in uh, self-harm in that way, to me, indicates that there were a lot deeper issues than what might have been on the surface. So, and after all, we have to care about each other. You know, at the end of the day, he's still a human. And I want to stress that idea. Um, now, although I do find his actions reprehensible, um, you know, as I said before, I try not to judge too much because you never know who you might be or what you might do. Yeah. So that's one thing about the movie. And like, look, I saw the film. I went to a screening of the film. After I saw the film, I came out, I hit Lil Rel, I hit the Lucas Brothers. I was going crazy. I was I was going crazy. You know, the best movie I've seen in, in some time. Uh, but it made me reexamine the way I look at everything, right? Um, because William O'Neill was an unwitting, a witting and unwitting, uh, accomplice, accomplice to the demise of not just even specifically black folk, of anyone who was looking for equity and equality in American society, right? Because that's what Fred Hampton represented. He re- represented uh, a sort of a radical new view of American life. And there was, it got me to wondering, to pick up on something you just said, like who or what institutions might be acting as William O'Neill's right now without even knowing it, right? Who's being used and played and activated right now without even being aware of it? Not even necessarily people, but maybe entities or organizations or anything like that. Did you have those thoughts? Do you think of at all about like what entities right now that are out there, what organizations, what like where are the William O'Neill's right now uh, in American society. Did you think about that at all? Did it make you look at it differently? Yeah. I mean, mainly in my research of the FBI and their tactics and um, intelligence agencies and how they went about gathering information and some of the gadgets they had, even in the 60s, were far beyond what anyone would would expect um, the government to be capable of. So I can only imagine now the types of things that are in place. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure um, that there are people and agents that are put in places to cause confusion, particularly in uh, protest situations like what you might see with Black Lives Matter being called terrorist, or terrorist organizations. And I just think people need to think about that um, the next time they try and group people up, even the Proud Boys and people that you might find yourself in contention with. Think about, you know, ways in which the government might be able to infiltrate them and change perception. After all, intelligence is everything in those communities. And so controlling perception is important. 
So if I can get you to believe people are a certain way, which is really easy to do now in the space and place that we find ourselves sensitive to labels and, and grouping of people, just got to be careful and engage in critical thinking skills and be able to do your own research. But um, for sure, the government has not stopped. and uh, It's not just the government, but many different entities have put their, uh, you know, they full-fledged, they're full-fledged with it. You know, they have been for years. So, um, yeah, we just got to open up our awarenesses and be able to hold people accountable that we allow to have jurisdiction over our lives. The movie is so timely and so relevant to, to what we're seeing right now happen in our country. For people watching this movie or that are going to watch this movie, what do you want them to take away from this film? Um, I hope people um, are able to, Daniel said something earlier that I really like about being able to engage in an internal revolution and um, work on yourself from the inside out so you can change your perspective into a healthier version. And then we can link together and sing, you know, songs and move the world together. But we can only do that when we first engage in internal uh, analyzation and revolution. Got to be right inside, you know what I mean? So I hope this inspires somebody to look inside themselves and say, damn, you know, I've been thinking. Shit, somebody could love like that. You could love yourself so much you love your people like that. You'll die for it. Um, I'm hoping there's one person that is awakened by that and begins to love themselves a little bit better. Uh, speaking of Daniel, immediately when the film's trailer premiered, uh, there was going to be a narrative and, and a conversation that was started because Fred Hampton is an American hero and Daniel is one of our brothers from across the pond. Do you think the criticism um, of Daniel or Kingsley Ben-Adir or Cynthia Ervo or uh, any black Brits or people that are not from here playing black American heroes uh, and people who have a problem with that, do you think that criticism is fair? Um, I wouldn't be careful to cast a, a blanket statement in terms of that, my criticizing of that criticism. Okay. Because there are so many different versions of what people believe. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, believe there's a, just a multitude of things that could be listed. But I do hear uh, and consider seriously understand the concerns that Black Americans might have with a British person playing and taking an American hero, um, taking on and, and, um, and interpreting an American hero in a role and why that might be an issue for them. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, I have to say my personal opinion is um, artistry involves, um, um, especially when it comes to acting, interpretations. And interpretations then are performed, and they either yield uh, the value in the story or they don't. And that's not contingent upon necessarily the nationality of the person that's playing. I don't think because he's British, he shouldn't be able to play an American hero. I think because he's British, he should uh, take proper care to respect the history and be able to include that in a performance and give a good performance, which I feel he did. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand people's grievances and understand why they might be upset. I'd say you have to watch the movie and, and see this portrayal matches up or not um, with what you what you what you like. And, uh, because after all, what we're doing is a dramatization. I'm not William O'Neill. He's not Fred Hampton. And we're not these people that we're playing. We're actors that are interpreting. And uh, if you come from somewhere else and you may be able to get the juice and love and life of what we're attempting to portray, then I think 
that's all that matters to me. How involved, I'm curious, how involved was Fred Hampton's family with the film? And if they were involved, did that add a level of difficulty for you in being able to uh, play this role in the film? They were involved uh, heavily. Um, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. was on set every single day. So was Mama Kuhn, um, who was known as Deborah Johnson at the time, on set every day. And um, it just made me feel like safer because it made me feel like we were in the hands of people whose lives were directly and are directly affected by the events that took place in the story we're trying to tell. And that they're not going to let us slip up. They ain't going to let nothing get by. So Mm -hmm. um, it just made me feel confident. Um, I tried for the most part to keep my distance. I thought for performance, it might be a better idea. Um, But um, I I was, I was glad that they were there. Hmm. So, uh, you know, there are a couple of scenes in the movie that um, that uh, stand out to me, you know. I'm not going to give the movie away, but there's the Kool-Aid scene, which is just a, a thermonuclear warhead of emotions. Um, there's just a whole bunch of things that, that William's character goes through uh, that, you know, stand out to me. But I think particularly the scene that is going to really jar a lot of people is the actual death of Fred Hampton in the movie, which is particularly brutal. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, uh, it's particularly brutal and so much so that, you know, full disclosure in some of the advisory council meetings, I actually brought that up. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's a, that one was a tough one to watch. You know, you're, you're, you, you completely, I completely lost it. Totally lost it. There is a there is some talk right now about how much trauma black people in particularly should be consuming and watching in their art and things of that of that nature. Where do you stand on that? A lot of the, the stories of, of of in black American history aren't going to be particularly sunny. There are of course more stories we're going to tell that are sunny and beautiful and life affirming. Do you have any thoughts on how much trauma we're actually watching on the screen? You know, I haven't really thought a lot about it. Hmm. Um, I'd say gauge, you know, try and gauge as best you can um, how mentally you're prepared to take on um, certain stories. I mean, do you, you know, I'd say do your diligence and maybe research an historical event like this. And, you know, I mean, I think the history of it was very violent. And um, just like we um, actually, in my opinion, worse than what we're showing here. And the drama since eight, the, you know, the real thing was, um, you know, imagine being in that room and the trauma that it might mm. draw up. But people may be sensitive to this kind of thing. And so I think it's important to maybe, you know, check it, check up the history of these kinds of things. See if you're into watching it, because I don't think that everyone should be watching a bunch of violence and seeing things that are harmful to them. If those things are harmful to your mental state, that's the most important thing. So you do got to take care of yourself. I will say, though, um, that, you know, you, you Violence in stories is something that is just a part of how we express life. And it is a real raw part of life. And it's not to be gratuitous. It's just to show that these things happen. And we want to show them in the most realistic light we can, like the Sopranos, like many things you see. uh, Violence was a part of the story. And so it can't be um, completely left out, although the Sopranos was fictional. Um, um, This is just an example of the mobster life was very violent and 
and uh, so is war. But these are also, you know, important parts of life. So I don't think that we should be censoring them. And I don't think that we shouldn't discuss them. But I do think that they should be taking care and making sure that maybe your children are not watching these kinds of things and that people that might be susceptible to um, PTSD or extreme violence should be careful to, um, you know, watch what they watch. And if you see something on TV that you don't like on screen or on your laptop and you start to see it, cover your eyes, look away. There's always that, too, in order to protect yourself. So you're not you know, you don't have to sit there glued to the TV. Uh, I'd say just be careful with yourself because it's a real thing. Violence can affect people and you're seeing those images on a consistent basis. There's a at the end of the movie, you know, without not giving anything away, but we do see William O'Neill talking in the eyes, eyes on the prize too, I believe is what the documentary is. And he's asked a question and I'm paraphrasing here, but his response is more of he's speaking in regards to how he's going to be remembered. And he says, well, I hope history uh, will speak, speak for me or speaks for itself. And I, I'm paraphrasing that. I, I just found that so interesting because one, I knew of Fred Hampton I did not know of William O'Neill and you play him in this film. What do you think history is saying about William O'Neill? I think um, now it's saying that uh, if we don't change, all you're going to see is William O'Neill's out here. If we don't make a conscious choice to choose what we want to do and how we want to live and how we want to stand up. And um, everywhere you look, you're just going to see a William O'Neill. You know what? I'm glad you said that because you've been increasingly vocal, increasingly visible, um, and like increasingly just active in terms of sharing your views of society, uh, talking about, you know, ills in society. talking about things that you think uh, that are wrong uh, in terms of the way it affects uh, uh, black folk um, and just the world at large. If there was one thing that you feel like black people could do for one another, uh, forget about any of the outside sort of things that we're looking at. Forget about any plots by the FBI or some of this. If there was one thing you felt like we could do for one another, because in the past you've been critical of certain of certain media outlets, black media outlets that you felt like maybe weren't serving the black community as much as they should. Is there more to that? Is there more in any ways that you think we should be is there? Are there different ways you think that we should be treating one another that we're maybe not getting to? Because when I see the William O'Neill, Fred Hampton thing, the first thing that jumps out of my mind is, you know, they, they asked William O'Neill, they go, were you upset where Dr. King dies? And he goes, a little. It, something tells me that had that been, hell yeah, it's a lot, that perhaps they wouldn't have tried to target him to get him to do what it is that he did. So just that dynamic within our own culture, like, what do you think? Hmm. Yeah. I guess it comes down again to... Um independent self-exploration, man, right? Um, comes down to us uh, having to search and, and, and find and unveil the truths in ourselves. I mean, it really takes just being silent with yourself and you know, allowing for that space. We're distracted by so many things, uh, you know, uh, so much in, in the culture is us attempting to communicate ourselves and ourselves and our stories 
through saying, look, you know, that this is me and like wanting to be heard. Um, but I think if we, if we sit back and able to listen a little bit, we can remember that we're human. And, uh, we're not this idea that people have created these labels, the things that we ain't niggas and, and you know, blah, 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 and all these things mm-hmm. and black man and black woman and strong and blah, 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 all this bullshit. We're humans. And if we could sit in that and, and, and begin to, you know, to dilute all the labels from ourselves for a second, then we can see each other as human. And then we treat each, we, we treat each other better as a result, you know, and uh, you, you start to value life. And when you value life, you treat life like it's valuable. And you treat the people that you meet in life like they're valuable. So I think it's all about perspective, you know, helping us change each other. And we, by the way, we ain't the only ones that need to do this. This is humanity at large. But you said stay with us. So that's what I'll do. Um, we need to do internal um, searching, conflict, struggle, and resolution. And then we can perhaps come together. And, you know, that's the only way I know we can't appeal to, 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 you know, outside entities and sources to come help guide us in that way. We got to really see the truth in it. And that's why I'm hoping when this movie hits Chicago, that all the youth in Chicago that watch this movie can see, um, you know, to see that love that Fred was given, you know, uh, what you take from it, you take from it. But I'm glad that you can see now that this is where you start. You know what I mean? This is what we was on for real. <laughs> you know? And, uh, we can be back on and will be. Right. All right. So I, I just got, we got one last question. I got to ask you about this. So you were trending on Twitter not too long ago. Did you see why, do you know why you were trending, Lakeith? Uh, I was trending so many times. I forgot. <laughs> I'm so popping. I'm Lakeith. I'm, I'm so popping. You were trending because, you know, you're very active on Clubhouse. And some right. people, you were in the moan room mm-hmm. on, on Clubhouse. Yeah. What was the moan room experience like for you, and did you think that it would be as big of a deal that you were in the moan room as it ended up being? You actually made the moan room pop for a second there. <laughs> you know, my experience with social media has always been interesting because I never know that things will blow up in the way they will because most of the times things seem so trivial to me. Right. Um, but I signed up on the app and it was a really interesting, fun, cool app and it addicts you right away because you're able to communicate in a new way. Yeah. And uh, so there was there were top rooms at the top of the queue. And as you go down, the rooms get lower. And the first room, one of the first rooms I saw was the moan room. So I go into the moan room and I get to see, I realize that this is a bunch of guys who are moaning in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I just think this is the funniest. That was exactly my reaction. This is the funniest I've ever seen. It's great. I got to get in on this. So, but I, So what I do is, I go on Google and I type in male moan and uh, and on YouTube, a video pops up that has a guy moaning. And then, so I listen to the moan. I was like, no, that one doesn't sound right. So I go to another one. I'm like, no, I don't sound good enough either. I go to another one. I'm like, oh, maybe I can trick him with this one. So then I go into the room and I try to sound as soft as I can, like the moan guy in the video sound. So that way, when I play the moan, it sounds seamless. So I went in there. And I'm playing this, as you know, I'm playing a character. I'm essentially doing what I do, which is <laughs> right. perform. So I go in there and I'm like, all right, are you guys ready? For a $300 cash prize, by the way, which I actually won, but I, I don't want to damn $300 cash <laughs> But I go in there and, and I set the tone and I play them all. And to me, it was hilarious. I leave out of the room. I was like, that was, and then all of a sudden someone screen grabbed it, put it on Twitter. 
and now I'm trending. I was like, wow, this is crazy. But uh, it's a fun time. Uh, uh, Lakeith, I don't think that there, there's, um, there's something that um, uh, Senator Palpatine says to Anakin Skywalker at the end of Phantom Menace. This is how nerdy I am. He goes, I shall watch your career with great interest. And the reason why he said that to Anakin is because he knew Anakin was a powerful Jedi and he wanted to take over the universe with him. But that is not why I'm saying this. We are all going to watch your career with great interest because something tells me that even though Sorry to Bother You was amazing, even though Atlanta is amazing, even though this movie and this performance was amazing, something tells me that the most amazing art you have to give is still in your future. And I can't wait to be here to watch it, bro. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast, man. Uh, Just a fantastic job. You, Dominique Fishback, Daniel, just uh, everyone that was involved in this in this movie, just kudos. Jesse Plemons, everybody. Shaka, the Lucas brothers. What a fantastic movie. I hope you guys get every single rose that 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 is coming to you guys. Well, thank you so much, man. You know, this is my favorite interview I think I've done. And there are two reasons why. I mean, I really love the heart and and I can tell you're a genuine guy and, 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 and you're a genuine woman as well. And thank you so much for just talking across to me and not up or down and, 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 and saying just beautiful things and asking questions in a unique way. These things can get really tiresome. And also, you brought up the moan room. And that's the most <laughs> thing you've done. I wanted to time. hear it. I so, wanted to so, hear what it sounded like. But I wasn't going to go there. I was like, I'm just going to let it slide. <laughs> no, he went there. He had to go there. <laughs> but, no, but, I just no. wanted to, you know, because people were like, because really, people were talking about the moan room. And I'm on Clubhouse all the time. Me and you've been in some of the same rooms, Lakeith. So uh-huh. I'm, on, I'm on Clubhouse all the time and people were, and I, I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you, it was sisters that was like, hold on real quick. I got to log off Twitter, jump on Clubhouse because Lakeith Stanfield is over <laughs> in the moan room. Like he got the moan room popping. But no, I, uh, we appreciate you. We love you, man. Yes, and and thank keep going. You. Keep going. All right, thank y'all very much. Appreciate it. All right. Take care.